Let me just ask you real quickly, how many of you went to ShareFest yesterday morning? Just raise your hand. If you can raise your hand. That's right. I've been talking to a lot of people who hurt their backs or strained something. But you know what? It was so awesome for me to see everybody out there. I went to several of the locations. I worked for a very little bit, and I had people take pictures of a pastor actually working. It's amazing how that works. But you know, one of the great things about ShareFest is... You get so much more than you give. When I went around and had uh, conversation after conversation with people, I was so blessed to see God using us to advance his kingdom in this city. I saw people just showed up and God just multiplied. And that's what we're going to be talking about. God multiplies us as we trust what we have in his hands. Had a wonderful conversation with the superintendent of 501 schools, Dr. Ford. And she just mentioned how much of a blessing ShareFest has been. How encouraging it is for her not just to see one church, but 20 churches partnering across this city to be a blessing to the 501 schools. And she wanted me to at least thank you so much for your generosity on a Saturday morning. I was blessed. You were blessed. Everything was multiplied because of the goodness of God in our lives. I want to direct your attention to Mark chapter 6 where we find out about Jesus multiplying something that was entrusted to him. And it's uh, the feeding of the 5,000. It takes place in all of the four Gospels, but the one I want to focus on in our reading this morning is Mark chapter 6. It begins in verse 30. And I'd like to read it along with you. If you have a Bible, open it up. If you don't, there's one in the back. Go up and get one so you can follow along with us. Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told them all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This is a miracle. And it was a miracle that was so uh, celebrated by the disciples that every gospel writer mentioned this. And apart from the resurrection, this is the only miracle that's mentioned in all four gospel accounts of the life of Jesus. But there is application for us today. Because the same Jesus who walked on this earth is alive 
and is working through His Holy Spirit in us. God multiplies. And the deep and wide follower of Jesus multiplies. You are called to multiply. Did you realize that? So let me ask you a quick question as we look at the needs of this world. What is your response when you look at the needs of this world? And let me just narrow that down because yesterday you were out in our city and you moved from a place like this into the city of Topeka. What do you see when you look at the needs of Topeka? Well, I'm a pastor, so one of the first things I see are spiritual needs. I see people who are lost. I see people who may be spiritual. They have a picture of of what they like to think God is, but they certainly aren't grounded in the scriptures and they don't know yet. And they aren't putting two feet in one one direction or in a, a location of faith. And so they kind of view God as I'd like to think he is like this. Many believe that there is a God. But but not as many are trusting in the only one who can save them, Jesus Christ. So we have spiritual needs. Secondly, there's relational needs. I see brokenness. As a pastor, we deal with a lot of people in counseling. Many times we just come up on a crisis time with people. And so it's crisis points that we talk with people. There are relational needs. All of us may look pretty good on a day like today, but underneath the veneer of all of our lives, there's brokenness. There's needs. We aren't as loving as we'd like to be. And people around us pay profoundly for our character flaws in relationships. And then there's also emotional needs. You know, due to the Menninger Clinic in Topeka, we have been a city that's been committed to helping people emotionally distressed in depression, with anxiety. You know, even through the VA center, now that the Menninger has left town, the VA center has dealt with many, many veterans who are dealing with emotional trauma and needs. They're huge needs. There's also physical needs. The school that I worked at was in a neighborhood of huge, huge need where poverty is rampant, where boarded up homes are. It's one of the, at least in the neighborhood I was in, one of the six worst uh, neighborhoods in the state of Kansas. We see needs all around us. So the question is, the question is, how do you respond to the needs? And there's two responses that are shown in the feeding of the 5,000 that are going to be our responses because Jesus knows our heart. You're either going to view needs of people around you as an invasion or you're going to view it with compassion. You're going to either view people with huge needs beyond your capacity to fulfill yours as an invasion into your own life and the way you want to live your life or you'll view them like Jesus with compassion. Jesus saw people with compassion. If you're going to be a deep and wide follower of Jesus, you have to learn to live with compassion and not view people as an invasion. There's some responses that the disciples made and that Jesus called them away from. First one is this. Their first response was to send the people away. Now, we got to learn some context to this because the disciples were just on this first missionary trip Away from Jesus. Jesus said, go proclaim to the Jewish people the coming of the kingdom of God, of which I am the Messiah for. So go and preach that. He gave them powers to heal the sick and to perform signs that this, the kingdom had come. And they went and they were exhausted because when you show up with help from God, people flock and people did. And they were so tired, as the scripture says, that they hadn't even eaten. So Jesus saw their capacity, or lack thereof it, 
and called them away to a desolate place where they could get some R&R, where they could rest up. He wanted to show them how to handle the needs of people. So when they, they, even in this place where they take this vacation to, the people show up. And the disciples, when it grew late after Jesus was teaching, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. The hour is late. Send them away. We do that. We do that. It's easier sometimes to just send the problems away so you don't have to deal with it. To take care of yourself first and then send. You'll always have people. What does Jesus do when we want to send them away? Jesus calls us to feed them. Jesus says in verse 7 of John chapter 6 where this is located, he lifted up his eyes and then seeing that a large crowd was coming on them, Jesus said to Philip, and I love this, Philip, where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? I love in Matthew 14 where this miracle is mentioned. Jesus said, you feed them. (laughs) Just a little bit more blunt. But you know, Jesus calls us to do that. We are his church. We're his people. We're called to meet needs of people. And that takes place just not just physically, but also spiritually. We're called to, to show up in both those realms. Because it's not just a spiritual kingdom. It's also a physical kingdom of God on earth that we're to represent. Jesus calls us to feed him, feed them. Do you realize that? It's not just people you can drive by or push out. Or walk away from. We're called to feed them. Jesus was the shepherd who would feed his sheep. Even Peter, after Peter denied Jesus three times and was reinstated after Jesus rose from the dead. What did did Jesus say to Peter? Feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs. So we're called as the people of God. As the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, to feed people, to take care of people physically and spiritually. A second response is to be overwhelmed. This is logical. It's really easy to be overwhelmed. Philip answered Jesus on that question in John 6. He says, 200 denarii, that's basically seven months salary. So whatever you make per month, multiply it by seven and you'll get the kind of money that that Philip was talking about. He said that seven months wages of bread wouldn't be enough for any of them just to get a bite. Now we're told that there's 5,000 men, but in addition to that, there were women and children. So a conservative estimate at the feeding of the 5,000 was that there was actually 15,000 people in attendance there who were all tired and hungry. And you know what? As a pastor, I know just a little glimpse of what this looks like, especially at the at the service that's supposed to get done at noon on a Sunday afternoon. See, when you go long, people get upset. Because you're messing with things. You're messing with the NFL in their lives. You're messing with food. And we Americans love three meals a day. And when we miss one, look out. Everything changes. It's easy to be overwhelmed with the needs of people. And when you start caring for people and people start getting real with you and they start sharing authentic needs in your lives, it's really easy to be overwhelmed. And if you're going to love people and people are going to be safe around you, they're going to share the hurt and the brokenness that goes far beyond the veneer of what they show on the outside. And you're going to be overwhelmed. It's okay to be overwhelmed. 
How do you view being being overwhelmed? What does Jesus do? Jesus sees it as an opportunity. See, he asked that question to, to Philip to test him because he knew what he would do. Do you realize that you being overwhelmed may just be a test from Jesus? It's a good thing to be overwhelmed. So you realize it's not going to come from you. See, what Jesus is about in your life is not going to be more about you. It's going to be more about him. So it's natural to be overwhelmed, but do you view it as an opportunity for the power of God to pour through your life? Being overwhelmed is going to happen. But seeing it as an opportunity is a work of God in your life. You have to move from being overwhelmed. See, if you're just overwhelmed, you don't see it as an opportunity, there's going to be another response you make. You're going to make excuses to stay on the sideline. In John chapter 6, verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Hey, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many? And I'll look at this. I love Andrew. He's a very relational person, and he associated with kids. And this was really huge. Kids were ignored until they came up to a, an age where they could speak. And here's Andrew combing the crowd. And he comes back with five barley loaves. They weren't like Wonder Bread loaves. They were like loaves about this size. They were probably stacked on one another. And the fish weren't huge whoppers, okay? They were like finger-sized fish. And they were dried and they were salted. And so it's like, picture this. It's like Andrew holding up two fish. With the pinky up, okay, because there's not much. And five loaves of bread. And he goes, we've got these, Jesus. Now picture Jesus is right behind him. And you're 15,000 people. This is all we got. What are these among so many? Okay, that's just my theatrics on the picture. But that's what he was saying. That was he saying. And Jesus loved that moment. Because he said, bring him here to me. See, that's the fourth response here. Jesus engages. Jesus doesn't make excuses to stay on the sidelines of meeting needs of people. He engages people. And that's what he did. He commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So he sat down. And he divided them up in groups of hundreds and fifties. And taking five loaves and two fish. He looked up to heaven, said a blessing, broke the loaves, and gave them to the disciples. So he engaged the disciples too. Jesus engages us, the church, his disciples, to be involved in his work. And he set them before the people. Do you see what's happening? If he just did this miracle and said, bless you five loaves and two fish, and you saw him from 15,000 people away, you would go, what's he doing there? What's happening? I can't see it. I mean, they didn't have screens behind him. To amplify the five loaves and two fish. And so he said, he sat them down. And he performed the miracle in front of their very eyes. And the disciples that took it go, okay, all right, we're breaking it down even smaller. You gave me a tail of one of the fish. And that's, and it fed the 50. It fed the 100. And then he said, gather up what's left over. And there were 12 baskets full, even more than he started with. And they were fully satisfied. See, that fourth response is what Jesus loves to do. He said, bring them here to me. Jesus wants us to trust him with what we've been given. 
If you think about a deep and wide expansion, as you think about your life with the needs of this world, as you think about the brokenness of the world and what this world needs, and you think about just you, Jesus wants you to think about just you right now. Because that's one person you can hopefully control. That's one person who's responsible before God. And he wants us to trust him with what we have. And what does he do when we trust him with what we already have? He multiplies it. And so the point where they ate and they were satisfied, they just didn't get a bite of it. They didn't go, oh, yeah, this is what it's, it was decent. No, they were full. 15,000 people. And they took up 12 baskets of broken pieces and of the fish. See, now look at these things. These are four responses. The first one is to send them away. Second one is to be overwhelmed. The third one is to make excuses. And, and the fourth one is to trust what you have to Jesus. People before us have learned this principle, to trust what we have with Jesus. Which, where do you want to be when you see the needs of this world? I want to be on number four, right? That wants to, that's my response. That's where I want to be. Because when I trust Jesus with what I have, he multiplies it every time. Every time. When I have a little bit of faith that trusts him with that next decision that I know is his will versus my will, he gives me more faith for the next decision. He multiplies faith. When I trust him with what he's been given to me, even though if I compare it to everybody else in this world, it may not seem like a whole lot. Every time I've trusted him with the next thing, with the next decision, with the next offering, whatever it is, he's already always multiplied a greater desire in me for the next one. And I would say this, if the fourth one is the one Jesus blesses, the other three are ones that Jesus opposes. And I don't want to oppose Jesus. I want to be blessed by him. And I know many, many of you do also. It's, it's the response that we're called to in the scriptures. And so if you forget everything else we've talked about, don't forget this. That when I trust whatever I've been given to the hands of Jesus, he multiplies it every time. The Apostle Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10. When he talks about generosity, he says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and actually increase the harvest of your righteousness. So what happened as a result of this miracle? Yes, the author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus. Jesus, when he showed this sign to 15,000 people, what did the people do? He said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. This is the Messiah. The sign confirmed everything Jesus said. And it would be a platform that Jesus would again make another teaching point because he never just stopped with a physical satisfaction. He always moved to the spiritual satisfaction. And that's why he said in John 6, 35, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. See, he meant to fulfill it. Not just to fill empty stomachs, but to fill empty souls. This is Jesus. He multiplies everything we entrust to him. Take a look at what it meant to the disciples. It meant that they got to be a part of an experience that saw spiritual satisfaction. As a result of this, many put their faith in him. 
spiritual satisfaction. It proclaims Jesus is that satisfaction in our lives. We also get a picture of whatever we trust to Jesus. He makes more than enough. We had not enough. I mean, don't we get that? Don't we get that from Andrew? What is this among so many? And what did they get? Every one of the disciples, and there were 12, they got a doggy bag from this miracle. Okay? They had 12 baskets full. Each of them had, what are you going to carry? Can we trust that when we give God something, that he'll make something even greater? Yes. Which moves us into the third point that they learned. They learned about God's glory in their story. You know, us Americans love our stories. We're in love with ourselves. We love to go, this is my experience, and my experience is very important to me. And so it's important that I... Sorry, I'm talking like that. But we can get like that. We can get like that. But it's not about my story. It's about God's glory in my story. And here's a big thing. None of the disciples could go, Hey, we showed up with five loaves and two fish. Look at us. No. No, they were like, We gave him almost nothing. And he fed 15,000 people. Now, the one who spoke and it was in the creation of this world could have kept the five loaves and two fishes on the sidelines. But he engaged them. He took them and he engaged the disciples to be a part of God's glory in their story. All four gospel writers include this miracle because it's about God's glory in their story. You exist for God's glory in your story. Do. And when your life intersects with Jesus Christ, then God's glory can be in your story. It's also deeper trust in a wider love. How much did Jesus love this group? He loved them this much, 15,000 people, to feed them and satisfy them of their hunger. You know what? I pray this with a lot of people when I'm praying for them in the hospital or when I'm making a phone call. I always pray this. They say, God, thanks for not just being concerned about our souls, but also our lives. God's not just worried about when you die. God's very concerned about how you're living. And and God has a heart for you. He cares for you. Even when you hunger and thirst physically. He's concerned. Even when you're diagnosed with cancer, even when something horrendous, you lose that job, God is concerned. He widens his love in some of the most deepest pain and hurt for us. We need to realize that as his church. And we also need to realize that the same one who fed physical stomachs goes deeper than physical needs to meet the very cry of our souls. Deeper trust, a wider love. And then an unforgettable experience of faith. Think about this. Think about the kid who comes back to his parents. Mom, you wouldn't believe what Jesus did with my lunch. See, that's the picture. And that story was told over and over and over. An unforgettable experience of faith, of trusting Jesus. With what he's given, already given to you. That's the picture. Now I want to close with an unforgettable experience of faith that's happened in my own life. 
Because 12 years ago, this week, I got a call from an elder at Fellowship Bible Church named Alan Wynn. Alan explained to me about Fellowship Bible Church. At that time, this was my family. Isn't that classic? Jack has that mysterious look on him. James has the bowl cut. Nathan has four teeth. At that time, they were seven and six and 18 months. I had a lot more hair than I used to, than I do now. And my wife uh, actually looks better now than she did then, right? Those are the right words to say. She does. Inside and out. But you know, as I look at this, uh, we were in a church there and we were happy. We were up on Signal Mountain, Tennessee. It overlooked this beautiful valley and life was awesome and great. We lived in like a Mayberry kind of town. And I served in a church that um, man, was, was a great church. But you know what? Something was within us that we wanted to be a part of a movement of God somewhere. Somewhere else. And due to a leadership change in that church, we just kind of put, put my name out there and talked to a different, different churches. And through that process, got to know Alan Wynn here at Fellowship Bible Church. And then Rick Tagg, who was also an elder, and, and Bill Hess. And, and then even Chuck Preston, who is now with the Lord. And uh, I just saw a heart for reaching a city. And I wanted to be a part of that. And I started praying. And we made a decision to move here. And they told us what they could pay us. And it was $15,000 less than we were making. And that was on pastor's salary. So we were wondering, how are we going to make this happen? Should we trust God on this? Or should we just wait for a church who can pay us what we're already paid? And we looked at everything. We looked at our savings, our retirement, all this kind of stuff, what we were putting in that. And we just said, we'll take it. We'll take it. And so on faith, we said yes to this. And you know, as we left that church, they gave us a check for four months of our salary, which was more than $15,000. And you know what they told us? This is our blessing to you. Go and make a difference in Topeka, wherever that is. (laughs) And so we came here and there were about 100 people part of Fellowship Bible Church. And I fell in love with the people, and I fell in love with the city. And uh, we started multiplying as a church. God was multiplying this church. I talked to one, one, uh, one uh, deacon last night who's been a part of this from the beginning. He said, you know what? I was just thinking about how God multiplies. I was part of the initial plant of this church, and God has multiplied us 100 times since we first planted. Isn't that awesome? If you've been a part of that, you've seen the multiplier effect of God and his work in the lives of people. This is us right now, or close to it. I have less hair. My boys have grown up. Nathan has all of his teeth. Jack just had two of his teeth taken out last week that were wisdom teeth. But the picture is, is God has multiplied faith in my family. I look at each one of my boys and I could articulate how God is growing them and has grown them over the 12 years, almost 12 years that we've been here. That's a blessing. And as a parent, there's no greater joy than to see your kids walking in the truth. No greater joy. I look at even in my own life, how God has multiplied faith in my own life. I'm a different leader than I was 12 years ago. 
I'm overwhelmed. Every week I walk in and I'm overwhelmed at the needs at Fellowship Bible Church. But God has brought his spirit and his people around me who do things better than I could ever do, who can meet needs through the power of God in their lives. I, I am reduced to my knees every day to trust God with the needs of our church. But I have a greater faith and I'm no longer as overwhelmed as I used to be. I'm no longer making excuses for why our church needs to stay on the inside. I engage people on the outside. We've been multiplied in places that we never thought we'd ever be or could ever even imagine. As as recent as one year ago, how God is multiplying us with person after person and family after family. And so we come to another point in our history where we think about multiplying as a church so that so that we can grow and so we can make room for more people. And we come again, even financially, as Cheryl and I talked about it, and as we filled out our commitment card and wrote the check, that was as much as we could possibly give for a one-time offering and then committed for 36 months over and above what we give here for the deep and wide expansion. And I will tell you that every time we have done this, and trusted God with what little we had, he's multiplied the blessing in our lives. And I want you all to be a part of this. You can trust the God who fed 15,000 people with five loaves and two fishes with everything he's entrusted you to make a difference and to be a part of a work that he's multiplying. I want you in because I want you to have what I have, which is an unforgettable experience of faith. And so as we wrote that check and we put it in this offering and we're going to be putting it in at the end of this, this last service this week. You know, I just think about this is the absolute best investment we've ever made in our lives. Absolute best. And, and it's forced us to put as absolute much as we possibly can because it's an incredible return on the investment that God has given us. We think about the thousands of people who are affected every week by Fellowship Bible Church and what God is doing here and our ministry partners. And we just go, no better place, no better place. So it's our joy to trust Jesus. I just want to encourage you, he can be trusted. And you know what? Zero times everything is still zero. So if you stay on the sidelines, you don't get anything. You just watch. But whatever you trust times the multiplier of the work of God in your life, exponential blessings. So as we've done every week through this deep and wide expansion, I'd like to have Jeff Vogel come up. He's an elder here at Fellowship. I've known Jeff for just about 11, actually almost 12 years. He's been an elder with us just about 11 years. And Jeff is a man of counsel and wisdom who has a great passion for making disciples of Jesus Christ, and he served with us as as an elder. He's going to come and share just a few thoughts about his experience here, and then he'll close us in a word of prayer. Jeff. Thanks, Joe. When I was uh, thinking what I was going to share with you this weekend, I I didn't know that this was multiplication weekend that Joe was going to be talking about. That's what I want to talk about, too. Um, multiplication, that was from the beginning when we look at God's word, shows up in Genesis. He says, be fruitful and multiply. 
uh, that's not just in a birth rate, that's in a born-again rate, too. So, personally, um, I have known about Jesus uh, oh, most of my life. But I didn't come to know him personally as my Savior and put my trust in him until I was an adult. And I was born again at the age of 24. I uh, married to Cheryl for 37 years. And uh, we have three sons who are all married. And they, with their wives, are all walking with the Lord. And they've blessed us with eight grandchildren. So my family's growing. We're multiplying in that way. And uh, But I have to continually make room for them in my life and in my home, uh, which is uh, it's a joy to do that. Uh, we're also a family. I hope you all look at yourselves that way, that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are multiplying. We're growing here. And we have growing pains. Uh, Cheryl and I, we first came to Fellowship Bible Church. It was August of 2001. And we were a church of about 120. And I still uh, remember walking in the doors at that time over at 17th and Indian Hills. And you could just sense something was happening. And I hope you all sense that when you walk in the doors today, yet that when you come in, there's something special uh, happening here at Fellowship Bible Church. And it's just that the Holy Spirit's moving here, and He's at work. When we uh, came, we were looking for a smaller church. This is not a smaller church anymore. God really has a sense of humor. and uh, But we were looking for a smaller church that we could put uh, the gifts that He had given us to work. That's what we were looking to do. Um, and so we stayed. And we followed his lead. One of the first things that we did was to start a college ministry. At that time, there was one college student. And there was one recent college graduate. He had just graduated. And uh, that's what we started with. Why he led college ministry, laid that on our hearts, I don't know. But he did. And so we went and we recruited a few more Washburn students. And we began meeting in our home. Uh, that group continued to grow and grow, and eventually it became a Young Life Leader training group, all of them. And uh, so what happened was they began immediately to go out and to minister. And today, uh, that ministry now covers most of the high schools, I think all but two, a lot of the middle schools, and on the Washburn campus. So it's a, it's been a blessing there. Another one of the first things that we did was start a small group. Okay, so we had five couples in our small group. That small group has multiplied. They're, they have turned out to go and lead three other groups. So we have four small groups that, were, that are actually being led from that one small group. And I don't know how many times it's multiplied from there. But I'm continually amazed at how God is moving and he's multiplying us. It's just so evident that he's at work here. When we um, were looking at to purchase this land where we're at, uh, and we purchased it over uh, just across the street. There was a sign on the northeast corner, and it was uh, the, a future home of another church. It was an FBC. But I was wondering what they were going to be planting there and building. So I called them and scheduled a time to go see them. And Mike Tindall and I went to see them and looked at what they were looking at doing and said, well, we think we have your building over at 17th and Indian Hills. Described it so in a short period of time, they purchased our building, traded that land in on the purchase price of the building, and then they also turned around and sold their building very quickly. Uh, that just usually doesn't happen with church buildings, to have those many things happen that close together. It was just proof to us that God was at work here, and, uh, and he was blessing what we were doing. 
Um, from the very beginning, when we looked at this location here, there was always the plans for us to do an expansion. I don't know if you all, you probably wouldn't know that, but it's always has been planned for us to have an expansion. And uh, so here we are. Okay, uh, we are God's children, and uh, but we're not just here to be cared for. Uh, it's always been his plan that he has wanted us to go out and to share his gospel. We're ambassadors and priests. I hope you all look at yourself that way. We have to continually remind ourselves that's exactly what we are. Uh, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that for we're ambassadors for Christ as though he were pleading through us. And in Peter, first, uh, Peter in 1 Peter reminds us that we are a holy priesthood. So there's nice reminders for us. And when you read that, I hope you go back. I'm a priest. I'm an ambassador. So what am I to do? I'm to go out and to share his gospel. So if you're in small groups this week, you're going to be being challenged this week to do just that. Just to start your day praying, Lord, who do you want me to see today? A lot of times we have people on our own mind, but he has somebody else in mind for us. And he's going to bring them across your path that day. We just want you prepared to share the gospel with them. Uh, if we do that, uh, these walls here and even the future expansion uh, would not begin to be able to hold what he's doing. And so we want to continue to do that. Uh, this, is, this is what I ask of you. It's really what Jesus was asking of us in um, John fifteen seven. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So first thing to do is to abide. So how do we abide? Well, first of all, be in his word and take some time to be there. And then when being in his word, take some time to be quiet and to just listen. And then after he has spoken to you, then just obey. And that's what I believe that he is asking you here. If we'll do that, if we'll just abide, his will for you is going to become your desire. And so I just ask you to spend time in prayer this week as you consider how you're going to respond to what we have been working on the last five weeks about expansion and making it known to everybody. So would you pray with me now? Lord, uh, we are thankful, so thankful to you for how you love us and how you made us. For you did create us for your presence, for you to live inside of us. You created us for your pleasure. And you, you created us to bring glory to your name. Father, I just ask that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will, that you would fill us with all wisdom and with all spiritual understanding. And I'm just thankful to you that you have included all of us uh, to be partakers in your glorious plan. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together, church. Let's take time over these next few moments to just respond to who our God is and to what he's done, to worship him because he's worthy, because he's done great things for us.